Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel and our continuation of werewolves and such alike, you know. We're on the hypertrichosis now. So let's leave the um the mind for the moment and go into mass perception <coughs> and assumption. People freely associate what they see and don't understand with well, what they've never seen and don't understand. What would people living 500 years ago think about a person they encountered who was covered in hair and looked very much like our wolfman of the modern cinema? Hypertrichosis is a condition in which abnormally excessive amounts of hair grow on a person's body. This can be mild, bordering on someone just being a little suit or severe. With nearly total coverage. The latter type of case can be startling to someone who's not anticipating it. If you actually put yourself back in the Middle Ages for a moment, and if you were to hear that wild animals, and possibly a wolf, had killed someone in your village, and then you encountered a stranger with hypertrichosis, who knows what your conclusions you would come to think about it. But that's pretty much where the similarity lies between someone with this condition and a werewolf of law. There is no known medical correlation between hypertrichosis and murderous rampages. While it's possible that someone with the disease could have been ostracised and driven to the point of insanity, that's possible with almost anyone who is considered different. Sadly, this kind of ostracising still happens today. Usually it results in something quite public and humiliating, and it's not very nice for the person receiving it. These people, driven to the brink, rarely have something as severe as hypertrichosis, separating them from the in folks. Still, the situation that caused a person to be treated differently or bullied is not medically linked to a person's behaviour. The bullying itself does the trick. And it's true. Very true. In the Middle Ages, though, an individual, let's say, ran into someone with hypertrichosis at exactly the wrong moment. Considering how rare the condition is, it seems highly unlikely this would have happened back then. The most likely reason hypertrichosis has been used frequently by others as an explanation is that it's a convenient-looking explanation to tag on a long after-lycanthropomania. That's all. Consider that an entire family was documented as having this condition in 1648. Granted, it's about 50 years after people started cooling down with the werewolf mania, but it's still interesting that with few medical advances in that half century, no one thought to accuse the man and his children of being monsters. In later centuries, those with the condition ended up in sideshows, so-called freak shows. You know, the hairy type, the staple in sideshows right until that entertainment form began to lose its appeal in the later decades of the 20th century. So next, we move on to porphyria. It's not just for vampires, okay? So when you first learn about porphyria, it seems like a decent fit for at least one misguided explanation of vampirism. Sufferers of this, and it's an incredibly rare disease, have extreme sensitivity to light and equally notable iron deficiencies in their blood. Further, their teeth begin to rot in a bizarre fashion, forming what could be mistaken for 
really battered brown fangs if you saw them in the darkness. Of course, Prophyriacs can't drink blood to successful, successfully make up for their deficiency, and they really don't exhibit any physical traits that would cause anyone to believe they were powerful supernatural creatures like vampires. As with hypertrichosis, Porphyria seemed like a convenient but adequate explanation to tag onto the legend. Or legends, that is. They just put it there because it seems to fit. The funny thing about the rare disease, and it is very rare, is that an alarming number of vampire fans claim to have it. I'm yet to meet a person who has Porphyriac, who exhibits a single symptom. But... You know, we can't doubt someone claiming that they're born with it. Who knows? Maybe they're born with the aversion to sunlight and the need for blood. <coughs> hmm. Disappointingly, true porphyriacs do not have lovely ivory skin. In fact, according to medical journal journals and associated photography, their skin is rather damaged and blotchy looking. Some serious cases lead to the victim to have more of a mummified look than a vampiric one. Someone with more moderate the case of porphyria, would exhibit damaged skin and sharp teeth. So you can see where I'm going, right? Depending on how hairy this individual is, he or she could be misconstrued as a wild animal-human hybrid in just the right lighting or lack thereof. As a result, porphyria has been at times associated with werewolves in addition to vampires making it an all-in-one condition for folklorists to mull over. I don't think it's an explanation for any werewolf le legends, though. Mm, I don't think it's an explanation for vampirism, either. Mm, I mean, after the Black Death, as well. But then again, that was back in those days, and I can see why they would link them. It does make sense for them to link them, doesn't it? It's a... I mean, back then, anyway, it would have been a disease that was very much misunderstood, um, especially back then. Um, the majority of werewolves were believed to be men and women who turned into actual wolves. As someone who always looked somewhat half-bred wouldn't have fit the description, and not a single person tried, for the disease was recorded as looking anything but human, the revealing daylight courtroom sessions, let's say. So, we don't need to put Porphyria in any occult books, even though folklorists and people in general have linked it to werewolves and vampires. Probably best not to. Then we move on to ergotism. Ergotism. E-R-G-O-T-I-S-M Ergotism So the last medical explanation for lycanthropy is a combo explanation of sorts. It covers both the people who think they might be wolves and the people who think they see them everywhere. Ergotism is a unique form of poisoning caused by claviceps purpurea or ergot fungus. It's difficult to detect this fungus, it can grow in wheat and other crops, which can then end up tainting the majority of the village's food supply. Cooking it has no effect on its chemical nature, so all manner of raw and even prepared food could be a trip waiting to happen, as in a drug trip. 
And I'm sure you've heard about the mass hysteria. Ergotism is far, far worse. The fungus causes two main types of problems that apply. Physical discomfort. People suffering from this could end up convulsing and feeling numb throughout their bodies. This can be accompanied by intense nausea and vomiting. Overall, the sensation is superstitious society would be one of a body changing or a body being under supernatural attack. All this would be accompanied by an intense feeling of mania. Literally a perfect combination to make one feel that something otherworldly is suddenly happening to one's body and soul. The other main effect of ergotism is hallucinations, which can be intense. They're like, um, it's like LSD. The, well, if we look at ergot, the derivative of ergot is LSD25. So it is part of that LSD category. Combined with the physical discomforts just described, these hallucinations would take on forms related to what the person is feeling. For example, if a person was doubled over on all fours from spasms, the hallucination could easily fill in the blanks for why he or she is in this position. The hallucinations could be external too, making people see things move around them that aren't really there. In addition to seeing monsters, people suffering from the ergotism well, ergotism, or ergotism, however you want to pronounce it. I mean, it's ergot, but ergotism, yeah. Could see ordinary people doing extraordinary things. The ergotism has been put forth as a possible explanation for much of the witch mania in the Middle Ages. And that's true because they do believe the wheat got tainted, but they also believe that the ergot in the ale was also tainted so this created the big witch mania. Children would be put to their beds by their maids. Then hallucinate terrible things about these innocent women in the middle of the night, for example. The next morning often brought about horrible accusations from genuinely pained faces and an arrest and death sentence for the maid, whose only crime was being around after dinner. Animals were subject to the ergot's poisoning as well. This may explain why livestock would also die as part of the family's curse for witches. Conspiracy theorists can rejoice that ergot poisoning wouldn't explain away cow mutilations. So those mysteries, well, they're still fair game. Ergotism is not only a disease from centuries ago. Depending on a region's sophistication and quality assurance practices, Local outbreaks are still possible. A Russian outbreak in 1926 affected some 10,000 victims. Another outbreak occurred in the French village of Pointe-Saint-Esprit in 1951, with the hospital being so overwhelmed that private residences needed to be converted to wards to accommodate all the ill folks. Fifty years later, still may have been the most recent outbreak. It's widely believed that in 2001, ergot infected barley weakened and brought havoc in Ethiopia. Hallucinations accompanied all of these more recent outbreaks. Although the cool eye of medicine didn't feel the need to report what the victims were seeing as being significant. Some critics of the ergotism, explanation for witchcraft and werewolf outbreaks, suggest that people would have been able to recognise the signs of a so-called St. Anthony's fire over time, and certainly by the time of the Salem witch trials in 16, 
1892. St. Anthony's fire was a name given to the disease in the 12th century. However, scientific consistency was not so consistent, was it, in the Middle Ages? It was difficult for people who had never experienced something to be able to diagnose it correctly. If we're going to be blunt, you know, while it may be that the scoundrels of the Inquisition would have been able to spot the signs of ergotism, the common man or woman wouldn't. Witchcraft trials were great for the booming business of organised religion. Being accused of sorcery pretty much guaranteed that you and maybe your family would be wiped out of existence. Where do you think all the seized land and property of the heretics ended up? It surely wasn't donated to the poor. So why would you bother to explain away certain supernatural attacks if the outcome was economically rewarding? Dark times indeed. An argument against ergotism is that infected food would have been a, sort of affected everyone in the house, in each household. The claim may be valid, but it's hard to say. Centuries removed, how the effects would have varied. Keep in mind that the Black Death, which is more potent, wasn't absolute. The plague wiped out half, not all, of Europe. People may have been resistance. Have resistance to the ergotism, it's possible. Or at least just enough resistance to feel that must have been a typical occurrence or upset stomach after dinner. This would be quickly forgotten while the neighbours were claiming to see werewolves ring by at night. And that's the actual truth as well. The ergot was believed to be caused for many um, werewolf witchcraft trials and all the mania that happened back then. Like I say, they didn't. They believed that it had infected their food and also the ale. And everybody drunk ale back then. Um, rich, rich and poor drunk ale. So the ergot poisoning is actually sensible and justified as well. Sort of thing to put forward, I think. Because it does make a lot of sense that... Those, I mean, when they've had it, they're going to see things, their body's going to convulse and they're going to move in ways they've never been, they've never been moved in before, making it look almost like they are possessed and then they're going to see things as well and, you know, that's going to look like a possession or, you know, a werewolf trying to take form or a bad spirit taking over the body when actually it's just poisoning. But you have to remember back then, they did not know that. They did not understand it properly. They would just presume witchcraft was at play and werewolves were running amok everywhere, you know. That's just how it was back then. Anyway, thank you for listening to this episode. When we come back, we're going to go into Native American beliefs and shamanism. Many blessings. <laughs>